Born ready, yo. There you go. I say Charlton does it. That's the way we're here. Hey, everybody. I'm Kai Rizdal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. He is shaking his head through the glass over there. I can see it. <laughs> I'm shaking my head, too, here in New York. I'm Samantha <laughs> Fields in for Kimberly Adams. And thank you all for joining us today on this Thursday. Today is News Fix and Make Me Smile Day. So, Kai, what do you say? You want to get straight into it? Let us get straight into it. You go first. Okay, one of the stories I've been thinking about a lot this week is when I reported earlier in the week for the show, uh, for the evening show that you host. And it was about uh, a study out of the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College and the Philadelphia Fed. And it shows that as you get older, and especially once you hit your 70s, it can get a lot harder to get a mortgage. And that's sort of either whether you want to refinance a home that you already own or get a new mortgage. And it gets particularly hard once you hit your 70s and then gets harder even mm-hmm. as you get older. Um, you know, and some of that is likely about age and lenders thinking, does it make sense to give someone who's in their 70s or 80s a mortgage that's designed to be paid off over many years? So that's certainly a factor that the study mentions. But experts I talked to said that mostly it's because older people are less likely to be working, uh, tend to have less income, often also have less savings. And those are the main things that mm-hmm. lenders look at when deciding whether to give you a mortgage, right? Um, But I think the reason I keep thinking about this one is that I think, first of all, a lot of people don't know this maybe until they're older and sort of run into it as an issue. One of the experts I talked to who lives and breathes retirement said she didn't even learn it until Hmm. she was writing a book um, and sort of looked into it. And she was surprised. And she said, you know, I think a lot of people don't know this. and, And it's important because it can have real financial implications for your life once you retire you know it could make it harder to downsize it could make it Mm -hmm. harder to move if you want to be closer to your kids or be somewhere warmer um or you know if you have equity in your home and that's where a lot of your sort of wealth is and you want to tap it if you have a big medical expense or something happens which is more likely as you get older too you know you might not be able to do that and so it's just something i've been thinking about um and and wanted to share with our listeners. No, I, th- I think it's a really key point to bring up, um, especially because, you know, life in this economy as you age gets tougher and tougher. And this is not yeah. necessarily a thing that people need. Um, so I'm really no. glad you brought it up. I do want you to mention your second one, though, because I kind of like it, too. Oh, my second one. Yeah. Yes. So I'm sitting here in New York City. My windows have been open all day. I closed them to record this so it was less noisy. <laughs> but... They've been open all day because it's in the 60s here. It was in the 60s yesterday. It's been in the upper 40s and 50s basically all month of February. Not an exaggeration. And I just looked at my phone app, the weather app for the rest of the week, and it's not going to be sort of below the upper 40s, at least for the high, for the for the foreseeable future. And I'm sorry, this is February, February. In, yeah. in Brooklyn, right? And <laughs> I mean, personally... I, I am enjoying it, but then I feel guilty for enjoying it because it's also getting kind of creepy, right? Yeah. Like it's too warm for New York. And January was the warmest on record in this city. It was the warmest on record in every single New England state. It is, there's been no snow, really. It's been, I think the only measurable snow New York has gotten this year is less than half an inch in Central Park one day, like a couple of weeks ago. There's been no snow. It's been super warm. I've barely worn my coats. And it's just, I keep thinking about not just what this means for all of our futures in the environment, but also, you know, we're a business and economics show, right? 
what it means for all kinds of businesses, yeah. for farmers, for fishermen, for maple syrup producers, for ski resorts. It's just, yeah. it's really striking every day here now. What's wild to me is we all see it. We all know what it is. We all know why it is. And yet, uh, as a society, while there are parts of it that are moving to to be more green, we are not putting into place structural fixes so that we're going to do something about it on a substantive scale. Yes, not yes, nearly there, enough. Right, exactly. And and yes, the before you yell at me, all you lovely <laughs> listeners out there. Yes, the Biden administration has done a bunch. There are laws in place, but it's a pittance. It's a drop in the bucket, and we haven't done what we need to. It is, and I mean yeah. not just here, right? And the right. U.S. is obviously a huge contributor and needs right. to be more of a leader in this. But it's the whole, it, most of the world is just is just. I feel like everyone's head's kind of in yep. the sand, or people totally. are just overwhelmed. I don't know, but we got to do something, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's mine. Kimberly and I talked yesterday to uh, on Tuesday. That is no, so it was Tuesday, not yesterday. Two days ago, with Derek <laughs> Thompson of the Atlantic about industrial policy. And my news item on Tuesday was. Uh, a push for unionization that was announced at a Tesla plant um, in Buffalo, New York, specifically the the engineers and designers who work on self-driving automobiles. And they had announced publicly a unionization drive, which would be a big deal, and I think the first for Tesla. Well, today, Bloomberg reports that at least 18 employees, including several leaders of a unionization campaign, have been fired a day after they announced said unionization wow. campaign. To quote Chris Hayes, who uh, appears on MSNBC, it is aggressively illegal to do that. That's what I was going to say. Once you announce union activity, it is illegal, isn't it? Right. Right. It absolutely is. And apparently what the company did was institute sort of no notice um, performance reviews and then (laughs) fired a bunch of people for uh, not having good performance reviews. And I just it's just it's bad form. It's on the face of it illegal. It's destructive to the company's reputation, even more than the CEO himself has been destructive to the company's <laughs> yeah. reputation. It's amazing it, that companies keep doing this, this stuff. Right? Oh, I know. Yeah, he totally does. He totally does. Well, he is, he is vehemently anti-organized labor. That's That's been clear for right. a while. Uh, yeah. I just, it just, you know, because so now the NLRB is going to get involved, the federal government's getting involved, and how did, I that don't understand how forever, Tesla thinks, oh, it totally does, but I don't, <laughs> I don't understand how Tesla thinks this is going to end well for them reputationally. I, I just don't. No, care. me neither. I just don't. Care. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that's the news. Charleston, let us move on, shall we? All right, so I'll go first on this one. The president today, this is Thursday. I know I've been mixing up my uh, days the last six minutes of this podcast. Um, The president today uh, came out and made a public statement on the unidentified, um, what are they called? Unidentified aerial vehicles or something. We're not supposed to call them UFOs anymore. Anyway. Um, the that have been shot down since the Chinese balloon was shot down uh, two weeks ago, right? There have been three since then, one over Lake Huron, one over Alaska, and then another one somewhere where I don't know. Anyway, the president said today that uh, those th- last three uh, are probably not Chinese in origin. Well, there's this from Aviation Week today, and I'll just read it. A small globetrotting balloon declared missing in action by an Illinois-based hobbyist club on February 15th has emerged as a candidate to explain one of the three mystery objects <laughs> shot down by four heat-seeking missiles launched by U.S. Air Force fighters since February the 10th. The club, the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, is not pointing figures yet, but the circumstantial evidence is at least intriguing. So there's <laughs> this is. there's this whole network of what are called wow. Pico Ballooners, P-I-C-O, Pico, so 
float small balloons, right, who just send these things up and they float literally around the world. They're not big and they float at this one was last seen at 38,910 feet off the west coast of Alaska, which is, oh, by the way, really close to where that one was shot down. Right. Uh, And they just go up there and they're like shortwave radio and they're weather enthusiasts and they're ballooning enthusiasts. And now the Air Force is shooting them down with half a million dollar missiles. Yeah, I was going to say, first of all, how much did it cost to shoot down a what? Yeah, several a, a, dollar, a, several hundred a, dollar balloon? Like, a, yeah, a how do we wi- not know what this was? Right. A sidewinder goes for about $500,000. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Yeah. Anyway, I just, it's Incredible. just, it's just, it's amazeballs. And now that, and it I talked really about is. this the other day, now that NORAD and American radar defenses have adjusted what are called their velocity gates, right? So then now they're looking for things that are going zero to 100 miles an hour instead of things that are going 500 to, you know, 1,000 miles an hour. We're going to see, we're going to find more of these things. And if we're going to be shooting them down all over the place, I think the president's in for, for, I don't know. I just don't think it's going to end well. This has been such a wild story. Such a wild story. Wow, that's a great one. Mm-hmm. I'm very glad you brought that to my attention. Wild. Just wild. What do you got? Well, so the other fun story that I've seen this week is that there is a big Eurasian eagle owl. His name is Flacco, and he escaped the Central Park Zoo almost two weeks ago now. Someone oh cut a hole in sort of the mesh enclosure around his uh, where he lives, and they haven't been able to capture him. He's just still hanging out in the city, mostly in Central Park, sometimes uh, you know, flying along Fifth Avenue, and... They're keeping an eye on him, but they haven't been able to get him. And they just announced, the zoo just announced, that he's getting good at hunting. He's getting better at flying. And uh, they were mostly worried about whether he'd be able to feed himself. Because normally, you know, these owls are just fed, like, dead rats. They don't have to hunt in the zoo. And so they weren't sure if he'd be able to feed himself. Um, But it seems like they're saying, you know what? He's figured it out. He is hunting New York City rats, which, I don't know, watch out, Flacco, because a lot of those (laughs) Those are probably not something you want to eat. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go (laughs) Even if I was a falcon or an owl or whatever, I'm I'm staying away from New York City rats. Probably wouldn't be into those. Yeah, no, no, me neither. Um, But yeah, it's just kind of a great story. And obviously, a lot of people are, are going to the park trying to look for him and the zoo's keeping an eye but they say they're staying away and and they don't want to scare him away from this part of the park that he seems to have settled in so uh, i don't know i just kind of love the story of the escaped owl and uh, maybe i'll go try to look at him yeah let's hit the other one there too just because everybody needs a little ray of sunshine every now and then oh yeah i wasn't actually sure you'd be a fan of this one but i am am thrilled to see that in less than a month we will be springing forward and it will be lighter later I saw a tweet today from uh, this New York Metro weather account that I love that said, in 25 days, it will be light at 7 p.m. in New York City, wow. and I That's can't cool. wait. That's cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan. So listen, this this will actually, this will get some listener feedback, and, and you can hit us up <laughs> at makethesmartatmarketplace.org. I'm a big fan of the time change. I really enjoy the shift in the times. And, and oh, you enjoy like a, the, sh- the back oh, yeah. and forth shift? Yeah. I, oh, I, it, really? It's, it's a marker no, of time. It's a marker of seasonality. It somehow brings me back to my childhood and being outside at 9 o'clock at night and it's still being just a hint of light out there because we had changed times. I like it. So this is gonna get I just like when it's dark as late as humanly possible in the evening. All it right. makes me feel like, you know what, work's over. I can go outside and it's still daylight. All right. Well, you know how to get a hold of us if you object. Because that is it for us today. <laughs> Amy's in with me tomorrow for Economics on Tap, 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Drinks, news, uh, and a round of half full, half empty as well. 
And as always, we love hearing from you, our brilliant listeners. Send us your thoughts, questions, suggestions. We're at 508-UB-SMART and make me smart at marketplace.org. Make Me Smart, which is the podcast you are listening to, is produced by Courtney Birdseeker. Today's episode was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. Our intern is Antonia Barreras. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Marissa Cabrera is our acting senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.